Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. This is part one of a two-part series. The Amish. If you're like me, you visualize bearded men, white hats, plain clothing, women in ankle-length dresses with white bonnets, riding bicycles, or driving a horse-drawn carriage. I also think of furniture, sturdy country-style furniture built to last generations, but what I didn't know until recently is that there is a fascinating internet-based company right here in Sarasota that helps over 120 Amish craftsmen sell their furniture all around the world. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, bringing you the most fascinating people doing the most interesting work right here in the greater Sarasota area. I'm very pleased to welcome today, Jim Miller, founder and CEO of JMX Brands, better known as Dutch Crafters Amish Furniture. In this episode, number one, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Jim, the tech-savvy college buddy instrumental in helping Jim launch JMX Brands, what Amish furniture truly is and what it's not, how JMX grew from zero to over $22 million in sales and in a little under 20 years, why Jim regularly celebrates employee successes, Jim's vision 2023 of delivering excellence, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today and do remember to listen, learn, and connect. Jim Miller, CEO of JMX Brands. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Thanks. I'm delighted to be a part of this. Well, I am delighted to be on site here at your corporate headquarters. As uh, my regular listeners know, it's always a pleasure to get out of my office and go on site. It's a lot more fun for me. There's a few more moving parts, but uh, I get to really see the operations and just to do this face-to-face. So it's always a, it's always a real pleasure. Glad that you could be here and come out and see our, our headquarters and also our Sarasota showroom, uh, some of the furniture that, that you were able to see downstairs as you walked in. It gives you a little bit of a sense of you know who we are, what we sell, and, and uh, the quality of the furniture. Well, it is great furniture, and it's great Amish furniture, and we're going to get into what is Amish furniture and, and how you started Dutch Crafters and Eco-Friendly Digs. I think those are fascinating stories. We're going to get into all that, but I never let my guest 
begin that part of their discussion before they answer what is one thing that most people don't know about Jim Miller. There's I'm pretty transparent with a lot of things, so I don't have a lot of secrets. One interesting little uh, meaningless uh, tidbit that a lot of people don't know is that I had... Uh, I had I once had mojitos with the first lady of Cuba. Oh, is that right? Is that Mrs. Fidel? It it's Mrs. Raul actually. Uh, Mrs. Raul. Yeah, uh, Fidel was married and divorced and such, but so he did. He, there was never a first lady really there, or n- at least not one that I was aware of. But Vilma Espin was the uh, was considered the first lady of Cuba. One of the revolutionaries along with Fidel and Raul. And so I, I uh, got a chance to meet her once and, and a group of us uh, went in and she served us all mojitos. That was back in the 1990s, uh, my first of several trips to Cuba. Wow, that's incredible. I, of course, capitalists like us aren't, aren't really uh, fond of Fidel Castro, but I will say one of the things he did that was very good is he was the one who started Coiba Cigars. <laughs> and I've enjoyed a few of those in my in my day, too. <laughs> well, that's great. We were actually there looking at uh, trying to uh, to set up a small business program, and uh, we, it didn't it didn't fly because the market mechanisms just weren't present. But, you know, it was a fun trip and, and we got a, a chance to see the culture. And as I said, meet the first lady. That's one of the places I've always wanted to go. Um, actually back in the, would have been the late nineties. I was actually down the Caribbean and I was with a bunch of British guys and they were going to take a puddle jumper over from the Turks and Caicos over to Cuba. And they said, you want to go with us? And I said, well, wait, I'm an American. I have an American passport. He said, they won't stamp it. They don't care. He says, but make sure you just bring a lot of us dollars with you. But I couldn't, I didn't get a chance to go. And it was always one of my great regrets because uh, it's one of the things I wasn't supposed to do, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. That's a fascinating place. That is. It is. And it's one of the places I definitely want to go. Well, so give us some broad strokes uh, on your background. You have an f- interesting background. You come from the Midwest, like myself. You uh, come from a Mennonite background. And of course, in Sarasota, there's a pretty strong presence of Mennonite slash Amish in this area. And so you are from that background. So what was it like growing up again in Indiana, Michigan and in a Mennonite family? Yeah, I, I grew up, um, you know, my, as far back as I can trace my, my ancestors on both sides of my family were, were Mennonites and in Amish. We, we refer to them sometimes as Anabaptists that came from Europe. I grew up in, uh, most I was born in Michigan. We moved around a bit when I was a kid. Ended up back in Michigan. Lived in northern Indiana and southern Michigan. Uh, so uh, you know, we we grew up as part of the Mennonite Church there. Uh, I I had a lot of Mennonite friends and and uh, worked with some some uh, and got to know some Amish people as well. The church was a important part of our lives. We went on Sunday mornings. We went on. Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings, and I was involved in a youth group there, and and so that was an important part of my life from from as far as I could remember, and not just my life, but our it was part of the family ethos and part of the 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 you know the family values were reflected in in that Mennonite and uh, Anabaptist heritage. That's fascinating. What is the difference if you were to say what's the difference between Mennonite and Amish? Yeah, so the difference primarily between Mennonites and Amish is in their lifestyle. 
the Amish are more exclusionary. Uh, they're they're more they they value separation uh, and from the from the as they call it separate from the world. And so that uh, special identity in terms of lifestyle and the things that they give up are often the things that that people, you know, are are the most visible thing that people would notice. Whereas Mennonites, um, uh, and and I should preface this by saying there's a broad spectrum of Mennonites as well, uh, from very conservative Mennonites who are hardly distinguishable from the Amish, uh, to Mennonites like me who go to a pretty progressive. Um, uh, congregation and uh, are much more mainstream. So, but Mennonites typically would be, would be more uh, mainstream in terms of their lifestyle. And uh, that's where you really start to see some of the difference. I could get into more sort of theological differences and such, but that's the thing that people notice mostly and in, in the most visible kind of, of difference between them. Right, right. And in preparing for this interview, I read about the split that I guess happened back in the 1700s and there was there's concern that one sector was becoming more liberal and the others wanted to stay conservative well that has happened in many denominations so it's just yeah and and I think um, it continues to happen you know within within the Mennonites uh, and and as you said many other denominations as well what I, one thing I would emphasize is the commonality that we also have uh, the Anabaptists uh, the Amish and the Mennonites share a lot too. Our commitment to uh, peacemaking and and simplicity and service, you know, are all you know things that we share in common. So, you know, when there's a disaster that hits, um, you often find Mennonites, even progressive Mennonites, and and Amish out there together, swinging hammers together. And I think that's important. That's fascinating, and I can see that that's part of your corporate values, which we'll get into here in just a little bit, but. So you have a, a wonderful company. It's two different divisions. It's Dutch Crafters. It's Eco-Friendly Digs. Uh, you share that you just passed $22 million in sales. I think it's fantastic. You've only been in business for 20 years, and you're getting ready to celebrate your 20th anniversary. But So who were your influences growing up? Because I, I'm sure it's a misnomer that folks think, okay, well, Jim comes from this conservative, you know, farming, you know, agricultural background and kind of stoic and, and maybe uh, there's just that misnomer out there, but obviously you had somebody or someone influence you to say, you can build something, become an entrepreneur. How did that happen? Yeah, it's a, uh... It, you know, I think what I often point to is the influence of my uncles. Uh, I had a number, as many people do, we have a number of positive influences in, in my life, uh, including, uh, you know, a pastor, including my parents, including, um, you know, coaches and teachers at school. But I think some of the entrepreneurial bug really was, was caught as I watched my two uncles, Henry and Ken Schwartz, uh, build businesses, including Amish restaurants. They had a number of real estate holdings. They had a, they had a nut shop. They, they had a barber shop and, and they always seemed to have this sense of being in control of their destiny, uh, being, um, I don't know how true that always was, but that was the sense of it. Uh, they had this, um, you know, my impression at the time was that they, they had wads of, of cash in their pockets. I'm not, again, always sure how accurate that was. Uh, 
but uh, and they had some freedom, you know, in terms of of their schedules and their decision making, and that left an impression on me. You know, when I was a kid, I was probably in middle school and in, in, in high school when when uh, you know when I observed some some of that. So I always sort of I think I went to college sort of with that you know inclination that boy, wouldn't that be be great to be an entrepreneur at at some point. Uh, and, uh, and eventually, uh, I took somewhat of a, of a, of a long journey to get there. Um, but eventually, uh, made that plunge myself. But I think looking back, uh, those were be some of the early influences in my life, you know, with, in terms of the entrepreneur, entrepreneur, catching the entrepreneurial bug. That's fascinating. Did you have any other businesses before JMX? JMX Brands was our first, my first business, I had been, uh, I had out of college, um, I studied business in college, but I also was interested in, in Bible and religion and in theology. And so I actually worked, um, out of college, I worked, uh, as an associate pastor at the Bay of Vista Mennonite church, which is, they've changed their name and such, but here in Sarasota, that's what brought me to Sarasota. Um, I was, uh, did that for five years and, and started on a seminary degree, decided I didn't want to be a pastor, um, was approached about, uh, giving some leadership to a small college ven- venture down here, Goshen College, my al- alma mater, uh, uh, launched a Sarasota program and I was the founding director of that program, did that for five years. In the meantime, I, I, I decided to go to the University of South Florida and finish a master's degree, and that's where I met uh, Miao Chui, uh, who is my uh, current business partner. And so we launched JMX Brands um, a couple of years after we graduated from the program in, in 2003. And uh, that's both how I ended up becoming an entrepreneur in the first place and also how JMX Brands got started. Well, Miao Chui is probably the most fascinating part of this conversation we're going to have. I want to bring him up here in just a, just a little bit. But I'm curious, um, how does a Mennonite, well, I, we'll just get into it right now. How does a Mennonite start a furniture company in 2002 with an IT guy from China? I, I, and and I, I, when I saw that, I laughed. Because again, the misconception, you going you know, back to your family and saying, Hey, mom, dad, family, I'm going to start this business. And oh, well, is it, is it Uncle Henry? No, he, he's, he's from China. Yeah, uh, it is an interesting, really interesting story, an interesting part of it. I, when we started, so I'll go back to the classroom in, in sort of grad school. Actually, let me start over. I'll go back to the, uh, those early days where I had this influence of this entrepreneurial bug. And so I always had sort of dreamed of becoming my own, having my own business, becoming, being my own, own boss, so, so to speak. And, um, and, and yet I had these other interests too. So it, it ended up taking me for a decade into working with, in the nonprofit sector. So, you know, it, when I was in my early thirties, I was sort of taking some, some count of my life and, and still hadn't hadn't done, hadn't ever taken that leap, you know, in, in a business venture, um, and was hungry to give it a try. Uh, when you're in graduate school, you end up, at least in a, my experience, you end up talking with your peers and your cohorts about ideas and so forth about what if we did this or what if we did that. So we built some relationships there. And I certainly had one with Meow. 
Uh, he got another master's degree there at the University of South Florida, and I went back to my, you know, continuing to to focus on my uh, my job at, at Goshen College. But uh, we reconnected in 2002. We wanted to do something. We wanted to do something together. We didn't know what it was. His experience, he had some experience in um, developing websites. I had no technical experience at all. I still don't. I'm the least technical uh, internet entrepreneur you'll ever meet. Um, but <clears throat> so we decided at the time, you know, we wanted to get into, uh, this e-commerce model because e-commerce at the time was brand new, just out of the box. It really was a wild, wild west. Um, uh, people weren't sure about it. Um, it represented a very, very small percentage of retail sales, there were no real industry rules. I mean, you know, industry standards. Uh, a lot of people didn't trust buying things on the website. Um, it has sort of a shady side to it in some in some ways. So confidence was always an issue. I've been burned early on. Yeah, yeah. It and you know, there some there are there was truth in some of those those conceptions. And so uh, you know, it was a it was a blank slate and it gave us an opportunity to get into a business without a lot of capital. And I think that with a drop ship model. So that was, um, that was really, really appealing to us. Uh, we got together, um, talked through the business plan, uh, had ideas about how we would sell products, niche products on, uh, niche websites and uh, agreed to go into business, really, at that point. But I just want to make it a point. So when you agreed to go into business, it was you, your wife, Lindsay, and Meow, correct? That, that's correct. We talk about, I often talk about the, the founders of the business as the three of us, Lindsay and, and Meow and I. Um, and, and so um, uh, the three of us remain in the business today. And, and uh, we have, uh, I think, the the strength of our partnership has really been one of the factors for success in our in our company's history. But getting back to uh, you know the story, I think when we when we sort of Mao and I got together, we met at the what used to be the Hillview Grill on Hillview Street. I still remember the table we sat at. We sort of drew out this how to sell products on an e-commerce model on the proverbial napkin. And, uh, uh, we decided to make a go of it, combined our initials, which wasn't all that creative, but, but made sense at the time. So JMX reflects you and meow. Yeah. We say, we save the, we, we share the M. Gotcha. Okay. And so, uh, but the issue for us was we didn't know, we had an idea on how to sell products. We didn't have any products to sell. Uh, so we started really with a sales model. Uh, and, and then, uh, had to start figuring out, well, what are these products? Where do we find products, uh, that's going to fit this model, this, this sort of niche model that we had in mind. So you weren't even thinking of Amish furniture at the time. We weren't even thinking of Amish furniture. It was, it was a pretty, uh, in fact, it wasn't among the top, you know, three or four or five, um, ideas that we had in that first year. We did, though, begin to find some traction with some uh, with some outdoor crafts, um, and uh, that included a, a maker of Amish, uh, it, an Amish guy who was a manufacturer of these these lighthouses these, that sit out in your yard. 
Yeah, they're they're uh, uh, you know they're they're decorative. They can they they're ornamental. Um, wasn't the product that I was necessarily looking for, but it was unique. And uh, we found somebody who would take a who would who would uh, uh, give us a chance with their products because that was another issue for us too. Not only did customers potential customers have some doubts about this whole e-commerce model, but it was a challenge to find vendors who would, who would, uh, you know, expose their, their products to that model as well for a whole lot of reasons. It didn't fit their typical business models at the time. Well, one thing led to another and we had some success with, with, uh, Amos, who was the maker of these lighthouses. Uh, and we built gardentones.com and sold them as, uh, as outdoor lighthouses. Uh, we built, um, oceanfair.com and sold them as nautical lighthouses. We built uh, uh, millerstore.com and sold them as Amish-made lighthouses. So the same lighthouse sort of presented in different ways, uh, different keyword themes. Uh, we, we, and we had some success. We had, w- once we started selling, uh, I was pretty impressed by um, uh, uh, the uh, early traction that we had. So, so we got more... Um, we, we uh, you know, I did what what uh, uh, ambitious entrepreneurs do. We, we went and, and looked for more opportunities. And so uh, the connections with Amos, uh, we proved, some, proved important. Uh, we would go then and ask Amos, for example, you know, who else should we be talking to? He was impressed with the, with the orders we were sending his way. And so really it happened organically like that. He would introduce us to a cousin or a neighbor, or somebody in, in the Amish community there. We started getting traction with Amish crafts, which led to outdoor furniture. And uh, that summer of 20, 2003, our very first year, we did start selling Amish-made outdoor pro- outdoor furniture products. On one of the visits that, I, that we had to uh, Amish country, uh, Lindsay and I were looking for more vendors to sell, and she kept finding these she, we, we kept seeing this indoor furniture, uh, beautifully made, solid wood, uh, oak, cherry, brown maple, in, a, in quite a few different styles. It wasn't just traditional, you know, grandma's Amish furniture, but a lot of uh, different styles as well. And uh, she said, boy, I think, I think this would be a great uh, opportunity for us to start to sell online. Uh, I, my response to that was that will never work. I had too many, uh, concerns about shipping, finishing, you know, all the reasons why it wouldn't work sort of came top of mind. She's pretty persistent. And, uh, so, you know, she didn't give up. We launched Dutch crafters at the very end of 2003 the next year, in 2004, our first full year in business, we sold, we did about half a million dollars, and almost all of it was in, in Amish-made uh, indoor furniture. And Lindsay has always reminded me of that, you know, over the years. Uh, you know, it was a great idea, and I was very happy to be wrong. Thank you for tuning in today. Remember to listen to part two of this interview this coming Thursday, where Jim Miller shares why JMX Brands tries to promote from within, the many industry awards Dutch crafters has won, why they are now especially focused on sustainability and much, much more. And as always, do remember to listen, learn, and connect.